Good morning. Uh, today's scripture lesson is from the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today, we're, we're looking at the musical, The Waitress, and we ponder, I hope, some wisdom we maybe can learn from being a part of a waitstaff of this world, from looking at the world not from the first place seat of this world at the first place of the table, but instead the first place that Jesus calls us to be in, in other words, the last seat in the house. Let's take a look at this trailer from the Broadway show movie. Maybe this will just either spark your memory or give you a flavor of what this movie is just a little bit like, or this play or movie is. She is so you're a waitress? But she's kind. Yeah, I'm a waitress. She is lonely most of the time. Where's my kiss? Girl, I gotta get back to work. They can wait. She is always mixed up. And bathed in a beautiful pie. Do that baby a favor and leave his sorry ass. She's gone. I haven't felt in a very long time. But she used to be sugar, butter, sugar, butter, flour, sugar. we sang ours as good as she does, but we tried. So. <laughs> you know, what I love about this musical is that it, it gives a look at life 
from the ground up, um, from the place where most regular folks live, um, from the privileged in Jesus' eyes position of the waitstaff, um, of those serving. And as I pondered that, I, I, I might say about this musical, I thought it would be interesting for us this morning if we could just ask all of you if you've ever served tables or cleaned hotel rooms or um, washed dishes or bust tables or tended bar. So raise your hand if you've ever served in those kind of capacities. So Heather, what did you do? What, 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 what kind of service thing? Okay, where did you where did you wait on tables? On a train. Wow, that would be interesting. All right, who else had their hand up? Yeah, Darren, what'd you do? Wash dishes. Yeah. We learn a lot from those experiences, right? Anybody else over here? Somebody? Carl, what'd you do? Okay, all right. I know you taught for years too, didn't you? Yeah, okay. That's kind of a servant role too, but a different kind of servant role. Anyway, um, I had a co- and I want to ask you just what did you learn from that? We won't. I won't bug you on that, but just think about it. What did you learn by, by being in the last place, so to speak, or kind of that servant role? Um, I had a couple experiences in the serving ranks when I grew up. When I was 14, I worked for Dipalot Ice Cream in Keystone, South Dakota. Anybody been through Keystone, South Dakota? If you, yeah, Come on, now that's a pretty popular place. Uh, um, it, it's right by Mount Rushmore, and so if you've ever been to Mount Rushmore, right? Um, it was this little place that had 26 flavors of ice cream. Uh, I dipped ice cream there, and I watched many a kid, you know, get one scoop of ice cream on a sugar cone and just do this right away. And down went the ice cream. Some of them would cry. Some of them would kind of make fun, like they did it on purpose. But I'd always promptly scoop up another scoop and give it to them, you know. That's what you do, free of charge. Um, one of the cool things, though, about working at Dipalot Ice Cream was we got to eat our mistakes. You know, that was very cool for me. And because of that, sometimes I'd make quite a few. <laughs> I remember uh, after that summer, I was out for cross country. And my cross country coach, his name was, uh, we called him Beak because he had this huge nose and he did not have any hair. He looked really like a bald eagle. Um, and so that's what we called him. But in front of him, we called him Mr. Robinson. And so anyway, Mr. Robinson uh, took one look at me, and he just went through the roof that first day of cross country. McBride, what in the world happened to you this summer? You look like you gained 50 pounds, man. And I told him about the ice cream place, and, and he told me, you're quitting. <laughs> he even called my parents about it, and he said, he's got to quit, man. Um, And then he looked me in the eye, and he gave me a great big smile, and he said, I guess we're just going to have to work extra, McBride, on running that stuff off. (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't know where the we came from, because I did all the running. 
And I remember what I got paid. I don't know what your paycheck was at certain times in your life, but I got a buck sixty-five an hour. I remember that. Um, <clears throat> of course, I ate a lot of mistakes. But the minimum wage back then was three dollars and twenty-five cents. But in South Dakota, you could hire kids uh, for a lot less. You didn't have to pay them the same. In fact, our bus boys there at Dipalot Ice Cream, who were, I think maybe 11 and 12, I mean, they were just little guys. They got 99 cents an hour, and they had to buy their own T-shirts. <laughs> now, I, I did some other tough jobs in my youth and college days. I washed dishes, mentioned that. Um, I was a prep cook for a while. I washed pots and pans. It really hurt my back doing that. I worked at an egg candling place. I mean, that, that was interesting. I took care of the rotten eggs. That was my job. And I, and I cleaned businesses for one summer. Now, my brother, he spent several summers at a meatpacking plant cutting beef. Uh, he still has a bad hand for that. His hand's bad. Some of these jobs, some of the jobs we've worked have been pretty tough. And I learned some hard realities about life in those jobs. I, I learned a lot about people. And the crazy choices they sometimes make when their backs are up against the wall, you know? When they didn't have enough money to make ends meet. I, I also learned how so many people mistreat the help and the wait staff. And I also learned what that felt like. I was looked at differently sometimes. It seemed to me that the richer the people were, the more disrespectful they were of the wait staff. And that really bothered me. Statistics, by the way, bear this out. You can look at them. The greatest tippers, not the richest. Nope. Total opposite. Total opposite. You wouldn't think that, but that's what's true. In fact, the statistics bear out that this thing is always in reverse. The greatest tippers are the ones with the least amount of cash on hand. The greatest tippers are the poorest folks. They treat the waitstaff great. Why? Because they've been there, right? The rich folk are usually the worst at treating the waitstaff. They're the bossiest, they're the entitled, and as it turns out, cheapest. Biggest funeral money I ever got, I mean, just being tipped sometimes as a pastor, poorest family I ever did. I, I told them, don't give me anything. They passed the plate and gave me like $500. It was crazy. You know, they just were so generous and so thankful for what I was doing. Why is it that the richest folks are the most disrespectful? And when you get treated like dirt from those folks, man, you can feel lower than anybody else on the planet. It just somehow sticks, right? That's what makes being on the wait staff kind of tough. Now, this play is not set in New York, but I always think about New York when I think about Broadway. And uh, imagine what it must be like waiting staff in a city like New York. I don't know if you've ever been there, but New Yorkers can be the rudest people. You know, they just are. Um, and, and 
and they not only tell it like it is, but they relish telling you like it is. That's what New Yorkers like to do. And, and if they don't like something, they're going to let you know about it loudly. Cindy's dad, Claire, went to New York a long time ago to visit his daughter. And uh, they stayed there a couple of weeks. And he said by the time he got back to the little town of Avon, South Dakota, from this New York, New York City, he had to really watch himself because he caught himself wanting to take the middle finger and use it in Avon, South Dakota. Because he said, in New York, that's like a language. That's all they do. He said, they're always using that middle finger. And he said, you know, you live in it a while, you start getting used to it, and you start doing it too. And he pulled me aside one time, and he said, Brooke, uh, man, you know, i got to watch myself, because if I did that here in this town, I mean, they'd know it in a flash. They care about other people here. He said, New York, they don't even care. Right? Can you imagine what it's like waiting in tables in New York? Can you imagine the insults, the raised voices, the disrespect? God, that's got to be tough doing it there. And that's where I think this musical, even though it's not set in New York, kind of you get the feel. And then add on to it the fact that you also are in a job that's nowhere near where you dreamed to be in your life. Being a waitress isn't many people's dream jobs. <laughs> let's, be a, let's just admit it. I mean, you, you come to New York to be a star, to, to make it on Broadway, to see your name in lights, and instead, you're waiting on tables in some little corner diner and somebody's yelling at you? I think that's the setting of this musical, The Waitress. The Waitress tells the story of Jenna Hunterson. She's a baker and a waitress struggling to make it out there. She's married and her husband Earl is abusive and self-centered. If you watch this movie or play, you're going to hate that guy. Earl is a creep. Um, Jenna has always dreamed of making it big, but it's after year after year after year of the same thing and getting no callbacks, um, her dreams, you know, start to fade. And life starts wearing her down, just like it does us, right? And then on top of all this, she gets the unwelcome news, for her anyway, that she's expecting a child. Now, most of us, we're going to jump up and down if we're expecting a child, right? Because we're kind of planning it. We want it. We want that. But this is a disaster for her. She doesn't really want to have a child. and She's honest about it. She doesn't want her map being changed. She has a plan for her life even now, and this is the plan. And then here comes the little one. And it totally changes the map of her landscape. And let me tell you, that's not a lot of fun, right? How many of you, if you think back when you were a teenager and what your plan was for your life, and then you look at it now, is it the same? How many of you even five years ago thought of the plan of your life and, and have seen how it's changed? Maybe you had a death of a loved one, or lost a job, or your career went south. So many different things. You had health problems. I was uh, thinking about Peter over here. Peter, you're 90, right? 
How did it plan out from 18 to 90? You got the same plan? <laughs> how many times, how many times, thinking about it, have you had to redo that plan? Yeah, yeah, that God changes it too, right? Yeah. Um, in fact, Peter's life, um, 89 years old and 345 days, that was about 20 days ago, Peter probably had a plan that's a lot different than his plan right now. He ended up in the hospital. He was in the hospital about a week. And that's changed things a little bit, right? And that's the way life is, right? Anyway, let's take a look at a clip from the waitress where she talks about and uh, the waitstaff sings this song, I Didn't Plan It. Throw your rocks at me. We don't plan it sometimes, right? Uh, but we have to figure out a way through. That's just who we are. We've got to figure it out a way through. We didn't really plan on Will going somewhere, right, in our community. I mean, I thought for sure he'd stay through the spring, but he's, he's not. So we've got to figure out a way, right? We've got to figure out a way to keep going through. This summer, the 2024 Summer Olympics are coming, and I love the Olympics. I, I love watching folks go for it, uh, give it their all, and then win the gold medal. I mean, who doesn't like that? But the truth of it is that that's such a tiny piece of the Olympics, right? The medalists are just a, a tiny fraction of all the people who try and get there. Our society, we glorify the gold medalists, but the truth of the matter is that not many of us get close to that podium in our lives. I'm not trying to be negative here. I'm just trying to be real. But let's face it. If you would take a picture of your map at 16 and then at 57 or whatever, it would be quite a bit different. The changes you make. We think the folks who have made it to the top have been blessed. Right? We use those words. You've been so blessed by God. Um, been fed with a silver spoon, right? Are unusually gifted. Have been kissed by God. And when we compare our lives to them, we conclude this. We weren't kissed by God. <laughs> Most of the people who give up on God are people who feel like God has somehow done them wrong. 
we somehow think God is to blame. But none of these incidents are God's. God doesn't create those obstacles. God uses them, yes, but doesn't create them. Life does. People do. Tragedy does. Systems do. God is that voice inside of us that tells us, keep on going. Overcome. Get back up and try again. 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 Keep reimagining our lives in, in new ways. God is the one who, who takes our hand, gets us back up on our feet, and then walks us through the process of taking inventory again and teaches us to stop focusing on what we don't have, but focus instead on what we do. One of the greatest figures in American history is Abraham Lincoln. I love Abraham Lincoln. We all need to study more and more about Abraham Lincoln. He really is, a lot of people say, the Christ figure of the United States of America. He carried the cross, a lot of people feel. When you think about what he looked like those last years, he carried the pain of our country in the Civil War. But he wasn't that successful in his life. He had a ton of defeats. Listen to him. He was defeated for the Illinois, Illinois State Legislature in 1832. He started a business, and it went bankrupt. He lost his run to, for Congress in 1943, and again in 18, sorry, 1843 and 1848. He lost his bid to become the United States Senator in 1855, and then he ran for vice president in 1856 and lost. He again ran for the U.S. Senate in 1859, lost again. He was a miserable loser. But despite his failures, he kept on. He kept pressing on. When his map changed, he didn't give in. He recalculated and he had the guts to press on, to keep making life happen, to make love happen in this world. And in 1960, he was elected president. 1964, re-elected. Oh, sorry, 18. <laughs> it's still a long time ago. I don't even remember it. So. And while in office, he wrote the Emancipation Proclamation and the Gettysburg Address, and he eventually kept us together us together. Lincoln had all sorts of things that went wrong in 1800 and 1900. <laughs> no. There were log jams up his river of dreams on a daily basis. Leslie Weatherhead is a great author that I love and a theologian. He writes this book, The Will of God, and he has this great image of God as this river. And he talks about when he's a little kid, Every time it would rain, and in Seattle, Washington, he didn't live there, but if it was Seattle, he'd been out there every day, I think, but this was in the Midwest. And when it rained, he'd go out on this muddy road, and he'd play with the water out on the road, and there'd be these little rivers going through the road, right, coming in, and he just loved to dam them up. You know? So he'd make a dam, and he'd watch as that water would come up to the dam and then find a way 
around. And then he'd try to dam it up again, and that water kept working its way and finding another way around the way. And he said, for him, that was his image of what God's like. Those dams, they just keep coming, right? They keep sticking in where we're at. It might be cancer. It might be a loss of a loved one. It might be a you know, hospital for a week or, or a loved one that we have to take care of now. Those are dams. They're rivers. I mean, you know, right in the middle of our river. We didn't expect it. But God's love just keeps working with us. Find a way around it. Find a way around it. And I want us to listen to Sarah Baralas. She's the one who wrote the music for this. And it's a song that she writes and sings. And it's just, I think it, you can see the waitress in the midst of this tragedy finding a way, listening for a way around and finding a way through. So let's listen for a bit. She talks so much about how you tap to take the ingredients that are around you and mix them in about who you are inside, your side. And you mix that in together and recreate and make a new pie. She's always making new pies. Um, and so I'm hoping as we move forward in our lives that we can take who we are, not look back at what we had, not look back at all the things we might have had at some point in our lives, but instead, let's be real. Let's take inventory. This is who we are. How can we take all these ingredients, make a beautiful pie for the world, beautiful gift of love for the world? We need to do this for our own souls and for the world. And all the people said, Amen.